0: Okay, before we get started with this brand new episode for Season 2, I wanted to quickly remind you that the JMC website is up and running, courtesy of my man, Jose Garcia of Odd Curious. JMCPod.com is the website. Check it out. I have all of my interviews right there to listen to. I'm also starting a blog journal section. I'll be sharing some in-depth thoughts. Also, a merchandise section coming very soon. And of course, please show me some love. I have a support section. It'll take you to my Buy me a coffee page. Throw me five bucks. I might mess around and buy a coffee. I love you guys. Thank you so much. J-M-C-P-O-D.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Journeyman Chronicles. JMC is here, and I am in effect. You like that? Recording this right now on a Sunday afternoon. It's been a beautiful weekend to you know to wrap up uh, October. Um, you know, We got Trick or Treat coming Monday night, so by the time you guys listen to this, we'll already be in November. But I'm telling you, you got to love the weather uh, that we've had the last couple days. Beautiful blue skies, the orange and yellow trees, just you know the green grass still It just gives you that nice dope contrast, you know what I mean? And this is the time of year that I love to really get in with some shit. My creative side, my creative juices really start going around this time of year. And I I can't explain it. I just love this time of the season. When I talk about staying continuous through all four seasons, this one season right here is my baby. This is my favorite. So anyway welcome to the end of october welcome to episode 46 i got a dope episode for you a fantastic interview i got to speak with Avita cologne if you don't know evita first of all you should second of all she is the founder of speak to my soul she also is a co-owner uh, along with her wife solise she co-owns the first america's first uh bookstore micro winery uh, and it's also a place where creatives can come and recite their poetry, or, or any type of creative can come and, and display their work. There's a lot of things that Avita is doing. You know, she's not just a spoken word poet. And there's a lot of things that are on her mind and there's a lot of hats she's wearing and she shares that. Um, I've been a fan of of Avita. I discovered her about a year ago when I started doing the podcast. And my wife and I got to see her Speak to My Soul performance this past, I want to say March, it was around the spring. Got to see it at the Wear Center, downtown Lancaster. Uh, my wife and I actually discussed this back uh Oh, man, I don't know what episode that was. We we did a wrap-up previously on The Journeyman Chronicles, episode 22. Speak to My Soul was very... Uh, it literally was breathtaking. I was sitting on the edge of my seat at one point because I was really wanting to keep diving into what I was seeing and hearing.
1: I have been to many different productions, several Broadway shows, and it was hands down one of the best productions i've ever been to it was beautiful
0: it was provoking it was moving it was um it was funny it was
1: real it was raw it was thought-provoking emotional i mean it was absolutely engaging
0: just beautiful so listen um I was excited to, you know, hopefully get a, a vita on the Jeremy Chronicles and I was able to. I hope you know that I take this uh, I take this seriously. I like to have fun, but I take it seriously when I'm discussing uh, something as passionate as um spoken word, uh, discussing raw real emotions. That's about as serious as you can get uh in a creatives world in my opinion. And so I respect and I honor that. So i wanted to definitely get evita on and i got her so here she is here we go hope you enjoy it it's the journeyman chronicles and we're talking to evita cologne episode 46 let's go
1: as you travel to ancestral plane lucid messaging i know the power the spirit that's riding with me is a little bit threatening this is your threatening, pressure the to the
0: Thank you again. I appreciate it. Um, I've been looking forward to getting you on the Chronicles uh, for some time. So this is a pretty big deal for me. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy woman. (laughs) Um, And I know that, you know, with everything going on in the world nowadays, it's hard to to take uh, a little bit of time to sit down and just kind of talk, if you will. So thank you again. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the people, obviously, I wanted to talk to was the Evita Cologne. I know um, of the spoken word. I know of the... Uh, Obviously, I want to get into the uh, concrete rows because I know that's the big thing right now on your plate. I mean, you've got a big plate. I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff going on. So if you wouldn't mind, break down for me exactly how the last couple weeks have been, because I know they've been big for you.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, thank you for having me on first. I really appreciate you seeing me and um, inviting me to this space. Um, So the past few weeks have been um, been very it's been very challenging and exciting at the same time. There's a lot of things that I'm learning. Um, You know, when you have an idea, you don't really, well, you think through all the different scenarios of how this idea can come into fruition, but there's always a learning curve. So just being able to lean into the learning curve and allow myself to be a student of the process and this journey, um, that's what the last few weeks have been like, um, allowing myself grace to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and um, I'm so used to being, um, you know, 10 steps ahead of everything. So being in this completely new journey has allowed me to be more of a student instead of, you know, working on mastering things. And, you know, as soon as I as soon as I put my hands on it, I want to master it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just off to be a student right now. So that's how the past few weeks have been for me.
0: I, I completely understand wanting to master the trade and, and uh, embracing the student role. A lot of people have a hard time doing that. So um, I, I, look, I don't run a business, but I, so I don't know what that's like, but I can I can imagine that the best way to go about that would be to to get your hands in it and to learn it from the ground up, so to speak. Um, I do recall a couple of weeks ago, you went live, uh, you were talking about the politics and the red tape, so to speak, of what you've been going through to get this off the ground um, and, and I can, Imagine and obviously I want you to to fill me in, but you have this goal, you have this dream and this vision uh, to to uh, to make this establishment. This is the first break this down for me again, because I I, I don't want to it's not just it's not just a a winery. It's not just a bookstore. It's a mixture of different things, correct?
1: Yeah. So it's a a micro winery um, of which we make our own wine. And it's a books It's a bookstore specifically based on, um, you know, narratives um, of people of the African diaspora, but also by people of the Asp- African diaspora. So it's a, a black bookstore. Um, we also have an art gallery space, and we have a performance space. So our space can change around and you know, we can have a whole performance as we did yesterday. Um, So we will, we are the first, I'm so used to, you know, us not being open, but we are the first uh, bookstore micro winery in the United States. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty exciting, but it's challenging because without a blueprint, there's no way that people can like, even as far as the laws go, you, like, there's laws for a winery, a micro winery. There's laws for, um, a retail space. There's laws for a restaurant. We also sell food. Um, but putting all those things together, um, is very difficult. So you start to see things change, um, as you step into the space, you start to see like, you know, policies change as they're trying to create some type of policy for your specific business. Um, and then, When you're going out for for funding and things like that, it's like, well, we've never seen this exist before. So how is this going to survive? It doesn't make sense. Or Mm -hmm. maybe it's too new for this space. Um, So there was a lot there was a lot of challenges in pitching the idea and getting permits and things like that for the idea because it hasn't been done before.
0: Was that something that you were aware of at the very beginning or did that kind of blindside you in this process?
1: I knew that I knew there was going to be challenges. Um, so when they did arise, I was expecting them, but I just didn't want them to happen, you know? Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would imagine that at that part, uh, they always say a lot of people start businesses and you know, it's the, it's the maintaining the, the business is maintaining the hunger. It's maintaining that, that vision. I would imagine that was somebody, most people coming across a moment like that, that, you know, the kind of flags go up in the air, they're done with it. It's, it can be a hassle, mm-hmm. but I, but obviously, um, we saw you, you celebrating the opening, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm very excited. My wife and I look forward to, to visiting the establishment. So congratulations, um, <laughs> (laughs) On your achievement, because it's the first one in the United States. That's pretty dope. I I, that I did not know. Um, So you have this you have this micro uh, winery. Is this now your your venture into this? There's a lot of hats that you're wearing here you've you've, uh, is that the big one that you're focusing on right now or are you are you also focusing on your work as a poet spoken artist spoken word artist excuse me music yeah what's going on there
1: um so when you're opening a business like that you have to wear all the hats um and I have a a cousin he is he is also a business owner and he told me he has multiple businesses and he said you know sometimes your other businesses take a hit because you have to pour so much into the new one. Um, and I wouldn't say that, you know, me as a poet, like I had my creativity took a hit. I do know I do spend a much more time working on the admin side of, um, you know, opening up a business than I am writing at this time. But I do find moments where I'm like, oh, okay. Like I, you know, here's something in my head and write it down. But it's not like I'm spending hours practicing for a performance as I did before, um, right now I'm not taking bookings right now so I can be at a concrete rose. So there is a level of sacrifice, um, as far as my artistry and my creativity, but also a concrete rose is a space for creatives. So I still feel at home. Um, we had an open mic yesterday and I was able to perform. I had to do my work first, but it, it does take a level of sacrifice to the other things you also love.
0: How was that like performing, at your uh micro winery that was your that's your baby that's your home I, I would assume how, how did that feel did was that somewhat surreal or no
1: yeah it did because um, um as a poet like there wasn't a lot of spaces where I felt safe performing my poetry like that mm. raw content not here in Lancaster at least more so in philly so sure. to be able to create that space um for myself and other, you know, artists like myself to express themselves freely, without you know looking over their back or feeling like they said the wrong thing. Just expressing their raw emotions that felt really, that felt really good. It was surreal.
0: Was that a common um, emotion amongst your peers in regards to poets and whatnot the 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 wanting to express what you're experiencing through words through poetry, but not feeling safe and not having a place to do so.
1: Yeah, I would. Um, I would definitely speak to, like, speak to the people that I spoke to. So I can't speak for all poets, but some of my friends poets. um, There used to be spaces a long time ago, like the bird's nest used to be a space. And that was way before, like, I was old enough to, you know, experience that. But my mom and her peers, they were able to express themselves freely. Then you started to see kind of um, those spaces moving away. Um, then we had Fruition Co- Collective for a while, and that was a space where we could express ourselves feel freely, but also that space was, you know, it moved like it went away. So we started to feel kind of erased, and what well, I started to feel erased here in Lancaster as far as, like, doing certain poems and, like, I wouldn't do some of my content that was a little bit harder here Mm -hmm. because it wasn't received in a way that it was received in Philly. Um, And I would do it. I would still do it in different places and stuff like that. But I just didn't feel like the love that I would feel somewhere else. And I I didn't like that. So I just, you know, worked on creating that space. One
0: of the things that I I had, um, I, I spoke to Sean Hogan a few weeks back and also mm-hmm. to, to Dominique Jordan. And that was uh, one of the things that, that the common uh, co- topic of conversation was h- how Lancaster has changed because I don't remember it being so alive in that regard as far as the arts mm-hmm. and the culture being celebrated in the city when I was yeah. younger. In the 90s, it was more so in these small circles of people who knew who mm-hmm. and, and you know what I mean? And now it's 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 embraced. So I can understand when you say that it wasn't really there. Um, I'm I'm intrigued, though, how you were able to connect with the the content that you wanted to write. Who was inspiring you at that time? Mm-hmm. I know you had just mentioned that your mom uh, didn't have a place or, or, or was she also a poet? Was she an inspiration for you as well?
1: Yeah, my mom is a poet um, and all of her friends are poets. So I grew up around poets um, and I lived in Philly before I moved back to Lancaster. I lived in Philly for three, four years. So I was, all, I was there around poets. We were, you know, sitting together, writing stuff together, um, just being creative, expressing ourselves. It just was a safe space. But like we would do that more in like each other's homes or, you know, outside, like in different places. It wasn't like a, a place for us. Um, and then in, in Philly, there was a place called Just Words. So that was a safe space for poets to kind of, You would kind of uh, workshop your new pieces and, it, you know, good feedback or whatever. But, like, it wasn't it wasn't like that here in Lancaster. I I didn't see it at all. Dear black woman, you don't have to save the world, protect and save you. If you don't, who will? Your cape will not comfort your children when you're gone. It will flap in the echoes of winds you once stood against. As a reminder that capes may last forever but you won't it will reek of your pain when do
0: you, you started, do you feel that you started do you feel that you are part of the the push here to change that have did you notice that before you started really diving back into lancaster and the scene here you <laughs> said you mentioned bird's nest I, I do remember the bird's nest um but i was unaware of what was taking place inside so that that intrigues me as to when in lancaster did this push for uh embracing poetry become so um so localized here in lancaster city
1: yeah so um i graduated from shippensburg in 2000 was it 2014 and i came back to lancaster with speak to my soul um it was a play that i created while i was in shippensburg and the content of the show itself was so heavy so I did have people from the community actually come up there to see the show, and they suggested that I turn it into a community organization. So when I brought it back to Lancaster, and um, I think I came back here in 2015, um, I started to you know, perform that content in different places, but Lancaster back then wasn't where it is today. So when I did, I did yeah. that show again here at the Wear Center in 2006, 2016. Um, I got a lot of support and things like that. We sold out the show, but it wasn't received by the city in a way that made me want to stay here. So I ended up leaving mm. um, because I was talking about police brutality. I was talking about all the things that have um, become movements. And it became more trendy and easy for other people to support. But when I was you know, saying Black Lives Matter in 2015, I was a radical. So I was kind of like, I wouldn't say blacklisted, but I wasn't treated the same as other people because I wouldn't allow myself to, um, I would say, compromise my integrity to work with yeah. certain people that weren't really trying to push my people and the community forward. So I ended up leaving because I felt started to feel really silenced here, um, and I would come back and do poetry events, um, kind of try to shift the atmosphere here. But I would always go back to Philly. So while I was in Philly, I had to come up with a plan if I was going to bring something back, it would have to be so it would have to be so so big and so loud that it can't be touched. So that's when we started to really think about um, what we wanted to do here. Um, and what started off as a cafe grew into a concrete rose.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm totally digging what you're saying here. I didn't, I didn't realize that you had left and com- and came back under those circumstances. And so, um, when you say that you, you said you don't want to say you were blacklisted, but I mean, it, it is what it is. You could, you could read the writing on the wall. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. What exactly could you give an example of, of what you were experiencing? Were you trying to get some gigs and, and being told no? Is that is that the case, or was it a lot worse than that?
1: It was, it was. Um, I had this one gig I wanted to. Um, I wanted they came to me for. Um, they asked me to perform, and they was like, "We love your poetry, da da da," um, but some of your poems don't make white people want to donate money sure. and it was like if you could just not do those poems so like that was the tone of things like and um, I ended up turning that that I would it's not an opportunity but I, that gig I ended up turning that down but that was just kind of the vibe like it would support some of my poems and I'm like I'm completely Understanding that, you know, certain art audiences like you, you know, craft your performances to for a family friendly event or something like that. But that was completely different. You were asking me to change, you know, the expression, my, my tone of expression to ease someone that probably really needed to hear the content. Um, so that's when I really started to feel silenced here. Um, and I was speaking out a lot against a lot of um Systems that were, you know, off in our community. And it started to look like I was more, um, I started being like boxed into this activist role. Not to say that I'm not here for my community or anything like that, but I started to be boxed in there. And it started to make me feel silenced as a creative because it's like, you don't want to hear what I have to say in my poetry because you don't want to hear the content. Like, you're not ready to stomach the things that need to be addressed. So I retreated to Philly because that was safe for me. And that was where I was able to, like, you know, build my confidence, build my voice back up and feel, you know, strong enough to stand by the things that I said, um, no matter who was with it or who wasn't.
0: Um, When you when you say that you didn't want to be labeled an activist, I I would think that um, a a lot of. Artists or poets, who, wh- whichever medium you want to choose, um, if you're choosing to uh, express yourself uh, and discuss uh, touchy subjects, if you want to call it that, uh, I'm sure that the the labeling of activist comes up often for a lot of people. Do you find that that a lot of artists are like, you know, don't they don't want that label because it, it's taking away from, like you said, I'm I am a creative. There's more to me here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just. It's not even just it's just labels in general. Like they, they bother artists, they bother bother creatives. Um and it's such a an overwhelming title because as we're learning, and I was I was fresh out of college. I was I just had my son, I think I was like 23 years old. Like I didn't really know a lot. I just was learning stuff, but the things that I was saying was sticking with people. So that's a lot of pressure on me. Like I might learn something different in a week or in two months. And what I taught you may be wrong. So it was just a lot of pressure for somebody that is, that didn't sign up to be that. And they're just speaking out on the things that they feel is wrong. But when people start to really follow you, it's like, oh, well, I got to get all my facts right. People are coming to me, asking questions and things like that. And I was still navigating like my own life journey. So yeah. it was like I didn't know what to teach people. People were calling me when when protests were happening and stuff, and I really didn't have all the answers. So it's a lot of pressure um, and I just wanted my 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 platform to be a space where I can talk about like how I'm assessing the world versus it being fact.
0: Yeah. I would also think that it would start to feel like you're doing homework. You said you you would now you have to backtrack and do research and make sure that what you're saying is actual and factual. But you're also you don't want to minimize. Uh, the level of integrity that you're putting behind your creative side because really there really should be no limits and there really should be no restrictions when it Mm -hmm. comes to you being a creative and just expressing yourself I'm I never thought about that and and I can appreciate that I feel that the the label labeling in general but Mm -hmm. especially like you said uh, an activist there it's almost like a bullseye and so then people expect you to be a certain type of activist uh and then out the window goes your your creative side um the the, the last few years you mentioned the protests uh, obviously we, we we go back to when the pandemic kind of popped off the george floyd took place do you feel that the, your your poetry and your the content behind your poetry was somewhat already. you were already speaking about these things before they became quote unquote trendy for people mm-hmm. to be uh, supportive when when that wave started to happen, how did you feel as a creative, as an artist? did you look at this like let finally now we can now my work I can contribute hundred percent and I'll be heard hundred percent or were you a little frustrated with the the piggybacking so to speak of a lot of the world tagging jumping on the backs of others that were speaking about this for years
1: yeah I I definitely was frustrated um because one all the stuff that I went through to you know let my vo- voice be heard and speak out against these things years ago now everyone was able to do it and it didn't seem like I can't say that anybody didn't have any repercussions or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. it just seemed like so many people were benefiting from it. And I like, I lost a lot speaking about these things. So it was, it was very, I was, I was hurt. I would say I was hurt um, just to see that people and specifically non-BIPOC people benefiting off of their, um, I would say performative support of these movements and not really doing the work that, um, really is, um, I'm trying to think of the word that really evokes change. So I, yeah, I I was really angry during that time. Just looking back, I know I was angry. I was hurt. I think we all were traumatized. Um, But I do know the work because I have like I have sat with Black Panthers and I did talk to some people that were in those previous movements about what they did right and what they did wrong. And these this work is not something that you're going to receive instant gratifications from. So it's not something that, you know, we can work for five years, 10 years, a whole generation and still not see or reap the benefits of our work It's to lead our next generation to further, you know, the things that we would like. And we're still asking for stuff that our ancestors were were fighting for. But what I was trying to teach a lot of um, community members and things like that is that we have to have a plan. And the root of that plan has to be educating ourselves. Like, yeah, we're like, you know how if you're angry and you're angry at something, you react out of emotion, but you're not really you know, making strategic a uh, strategic plan to overcome whatever you're facing. So it really took it really takes a lot of stepping back from the emotion behind it and still using that as fuel fuel, but educating yourself on what the people before you have done and what you can do differently or what you can implement from them. Um, and I felt like a lot of times that wasn't happening. So the people that are still doing the work, uh, what is it? We're two years since. You know, uh, George Floyd, the people that are still doing the work understand that it takes um, a plan that shows longevity rather than something that will reap instant gratification, because that's just not going to help our kids and their our kids' kids later on. And that's how the work is. So I was. Yeah, it's just it's a lot.
0: Yeah, well, no, absolutely. As they say, there there's levels to it. and And one of the things I remember thinking about to myself was. It was, it was almost like everything that, um, those of us that are speaking about, uh, the content that that you speak about police brutality, uh, uh, discrimination things along those lines, and you start digging deep here's the here's the reaction that we what we want to see, but it's almost like tainted in a way, like you said um mm-hmm. and there's uh, you started seeing businesses now uh jumping in and showing their support, but obviously there was it was all propaganda based and it was all there was a lot of politics of red tape. did you feel like there was like this kind of give and take like damn it this isn't the way that I wanted to see this shit but fuck it well mm-hmm. we're gonna go along and there's a movement let's use it but I would have liked to have seen it differently I mean is there like a give and take because this was the biggest the, the, what happened and the reaction uh, yeah. in our lifetime it was it was big
1: yeah I was feeling a lot of different emotions Um, to be honest like there was there was that anger and that hurt but there was also gratitude Um, that people were stepping up to the plate and not yeah. uh, you know a lot of a lot of those people um myself included you know felt defeated in a lot of um a lot of the planning whether we were planning um within our own community or planning with other people outside of the community um planning with the nation as a whole a lot of people started to feel de- defeated and hopeless and all that kind of stuff so um like i really had to like you know retreat to therapy like i had to go to therapy to to reassess like my role in um in all of that and then just myself as a person. So I was like, you know, um it t- I took a turning point where I was like, you know what? I don't want to be so angry. Like mm. this is something that is out of my control. Um you know, I can only tr- control what I can, which is myself. So it was like if people are looking at me, how can I work on myself to to be inspiration to other people during this time because everyone's going like a lot of people i would say were going through trauma a lot of people were feeling hopeless they were feeling defeated and i was like well i have this platform you know i can give you what i know and what i'm learning to to you know keep myself grounded and push through the situation because we still have to survive no matter what we're planning to do and you know what's going on outside in the world we still have to find a way to keep ourselves grounded so i had to really shift my mindset mindset, 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 mindset,
0: mindset, mindset. Mindset. Safety is not something I thought of when it comes to spoken word artists and creatives performing their art. Do they feel safe? Um, because the content is heavy, that content is raw. Are they surrounded by their peers? Um, are they surrounded by people that will reciprocate that energy? Um, Evita. You know, as as you could hear, she she did not feel like she had that support system in Lancaster. You know, creating Speak to My Soul in Shippensburg, coming to Lancaster, not feeling safe, having to find that in Philly. Uh, I, I never thought about that dynamic, that these artists can feel unsafe. You know, when you listen to Evita and how powerful she is with her energy, it's hard to imagine that there is a, a bit of uncertainty with am I comfortable surrounded by... Um, an audience that may or may not understand what I'm saying. So creating a concrete rose with a winery and a bookstore filled with black literature, you have now a safe haven for artists to thrive with their work. Speaking of Speak to My Soul, we're gonna to get to know about the all black and brown female cast that she, for the first time, feels like she has this family vibe with we also talk about how much work she keeps to herself and how much this weighs on her listening to other people's stories these stories that she relays through her work it is um she doesn't like to say burdening uh but it does take a toll i believe she you know is working really hard on how to manage that she talks about you know how therapy helps with that how she offers um advice for other artists to do the same thing so I'm excited. I'm thoroughly enjoying this interview. I hope you are too. Second half is coming right now. Going back to Shippensburg, when you mentioned that you originally wrote, speak to my soul, I'm looking at the present time and, and the, the years in between that moment. And now, um, you performed it recently at the wear center my wife and i went and saw it and it was probably the most compelling um work of art that i've seen my wife and i have seen ever
1: um Thank you.
0: and it was it was and i'm not just saying like i'm not just blowing smoke here i'm like i'm genuinely being honest because um uh, especially knowing that um it's, it's it was here like we're from lancaster this was beautiful but also like just really paying attention to the content and how much it affected uh, my wife and I, um, and i I typically don't get emotional wh- while watching things visibly emotional anyway, mm-hmm. but I was that night, my wife and I both um, and I was really, really appreciative and you had a little Q and a at the end there, and I remember mm-hmm. you I remember you uh, uh, stating something along the lines of that this this work um, you said you never wanted to compromise it, but there was considering the the change in events in our times, mm-hmm. you had to start kind of molding it and changing it a little bit to fit the times was that something that that was uh did you did you have a hard time doing that was that considered a compromise for you or re, or was that was that considered different in, in regards to your work
1: um it was definitely a, a moment of it was a shift and it was a place that I needed to grow so some of the pieces I would say like when I first wrote that that show like I I wasn't you know out I was still like you know identifying as heterosexual and things like that so some of the pieces were written from a place of like I wouldn't say fear but what what I knew at that time Mm -hmm. um so I started to each time I did the show I started to ask more questions I started to become more involved I made it more inclusive so like um the black there's I think it's a black joy piece that I do about the lgbtq plus community, um, I try to include everybody because that wasn't in that they weren't seen in those previous shows. Now I know that I can't, you know, I'm one person and I, I'm not going to respectively be able to get everybody's story, but like, I, at least I try. Um, and then there was just before, I think there was different stories that were left out. Um, my first show, I wrote all the pieces. This time I let other people write the pieces. Like I had my sister, um, Davi, she wrote, um, the darker, I think it's the darker skin sister. She wrote that piece. And like, for me, like with light skin privilege, I sh- I have no, no place to write that, pl- that piece. So it was just me allowing other writers to come in to bring their story, um, together and, um, not allowing it just to be my voice. And I went out and interviewed different people as well, just to get updates on, on um, where we're at as a society, just to try to include that into the show this time. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I totally dig in. It, and, and, I, and I appreciate that because um, I, I didn't realize like the level of um, commitment it would take to see a lot of people when they write something, and it's their baby. And this is, you know, these are raw emotions, raw feelings coming from a place that, um, and, and you said at that time, that that's how you felt. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't want to change w- things, but to, to see the world change around you, to see you change in the world around you. And, and, and I'm sure you were starting to accept yourself and realize who you were, um, as a person, as a woman, and then <laughs> to take what you have this beautiful, piece of work and to um allow others to contribute can we talk about your tribe the the women that are that are incorporated in this because it's it was a phenomenal cast of all black women black and latina women I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure correct can we can we talk about that because that alone was phenomenal and i don't know if that got enough praise so i just wanted to kind of talk about that for a minute
1: yeah um the cast was amazing um so speak to my soul, the, um, a montage of voices is always a transformative experience for whoever is in it. But the fact that we had so much like feminine en- energy in um, every rehearsal, um, we laughed together, we cried together, we, um, you know, talked about our challenges together. So for me, like um, I was able to like let my guard down a lot. So in previous shows, it's like I'm the director and, you know, yeah. i jump into my pieces and I'm out like I'm not, you know, connecting with people. But um, this time around, I, d- I allowed myself to be a little bit more free, um, just to allow myself to grow with them. And it was just a completely different experience. Like you saw the mirror scene with me and Davi. Yeah. Um, that was a scene that we redid a bunch of times and it ended up being. Us, we just was like, we're going to practice these pieces and we're going to improv in between it. And we improv on stage. So each show was like the reactions were different and things like that, because we were just like going off of our our chemistry and our vibe um, <laughs> to fill in space in between. The poems so that was that, like that
0: was improvised every single time you performed it. Yes. Wow. Yes.
1: So the poems were things that we practiced. We practiced the poems and we knew like which poems would come. You know, before and after each other, so we knew that set list, but all the talking in between was improv. Um, If the audience would yell, say that line again, we would, you know, vibe off the audience. If you know this side was a little rowdy off of a line, we would, you know, go vibe with them. So like, it was all improv. Yeah, it was. It was a good time. That
0: that mirror scene um, sticks out to me very much so because the the fuck you part. That where you uh, that that and at that moment the entire place erupted. It felt so good to hear. Um, is that was that one of the parts that stayed consistent, or was that also improvised?
1: No, that's that's actually a part of that poem. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. good, because
0: that because that's one of my favorite parts. It's uh, it, it felt so good. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I appreciate is is talking to different uh, creatives and and learning their process, but also like getting to know uh, the little the little idiosyncrasies. I think I mispronounced that word, but the, the little things that, that, um, that they do, that they think of that goes in the behind the scenes. It's <laughs> not just, uh, I thought of this, I wrote it down. My friends jumped on board. Here we go. There's a lot of things that go into this and to find the right people, um, to mix. I, I'm sure that you're not just it, the selection of women that you chose. There was a lot of yeah. consideration that went into that.
1: Yes. Um, so we did we start out, we started out with, I think there may have been one other, there was another woman that was a part of it, but when we changed the, we changed the dates due to the snow. Um, no, it's not It wasn't snowstorm this time, it was COVID. Okay. Um, we changed the date to from January to February. She wasn't able to make the second show. So we ended up putting Solis in her role. So that was Solise's like debut as, you know, a a lead role in, in that show. So, um, we had to make some changes and things like that, but every, every woman, woman that was there, like I had a personal relationship with, like, I knew what they were going through. Um, you know, they knew what I was going through and we just all supported each other, but I knew like from the auditions, what they were good at, what their strengths were. And I told them at our first meeting, our our script reading, I said, um, I ever want y'all to think that I'm, um, you know, coming down hard on y'all, but I chose you because I see your potential and I'm gonna push you to to get there. So even if you feel like you can't get there, I'm gonna push you, I'm gonna challenge you. And I was like, it's gonna we're gonna have practices where we're gonna cry, you're gonna be frustrated and all that kind of stuff, but I'm gonna push you to the light that I see you in. And they were all down for it. Like they allowed me to push them and challenge them. They never um, you know, once in a while you'll get an attitude here and there, but it like it, it felt like family. So it's like, you know, mm. if you argue with your little sister or something like that or you get an attitude with your little sister, um, it's it's all good by the end, you know, by the end of rehearsal or by the next day. We always talked about everything. Uh, we communicated well with each other. So, yeah, it was family and um, you could see it on stage.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like if it doesn't feel like it's family, it's not right. There's something I would right. have to feel like family, I would think anyway. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's, Go ahead. I'm but, sorry. Um, on, that play itself, like a, a lot of people don't know, like I go through, like I have to really take a lot of space afterward because those stories are real. Like I'm really carrying people's stories, people's trauma. Um, I sat down with people. And they told me, like, you know, their deepest, darkest um, experiences. And they told me about their light and their joys and all that kind of stuff. But, like, I carry all of that during that process. So it's such, it's a really enlightening time for me, but it's also a really dark time for me where I have to stay balanced um, because, like, it starts to become really dark because I'm, like, literally carrying the burdens of everyone else. Um, so what was different about this show and these women is that they empowered me the whole time. Mm. Like they knew I was feeling heavy. Um, I felt safe to cry through a piece if I, you know, was struggling through a piece because I was crying. Um, they checked in on me. Um, and the d- the day of the show went really smooth. Like I didn't feel like I was running around with my head cut off or anything like that. Like I knew that they knew I had them, but they also had me. And um, it was it was very different. It was very different. I'm really grateful for that cast.
0: Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't realize that. And and the show that I saw, one of the things I thought to myself was, wow, that's a lot of, you got, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of energy. Then you mm-hmm. got to pack it up, move it. Then you got to unbox it and set it back up and, and then do it all over again. And when you're saying that you're carrying a lot of, you're carrying a lot of stories. If you're emotionally invested, then it's going to affect you. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you're in a dark place. You had mentioned earlier going to therapy was, did that help Mm -hmm. you obviously during this? I mean, is that an active part of your life to cope with your, your creative side? I would, I would assume.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, definitely taught me how to release that because I used to just carry everyone's, um, I wouldn't say it was burdensome or anything like that, but I would just carry that. Like if someone would share some bad news with that with me, um, I would carry that. Like I would feel really over overwhelmed with emotion for that person. Um, sometimes I would try to fix it. Um, so I had to learn how to ground myself and release those things. And I wasn't doing it with my, I thought I was doing it with spoken word, but I wasn't as much as I you know would like to because performing became a job for me. So it wasn't like as much as a release. It was like, yeah, I'm writing these things down to share with other people. So through therapy, I learned that there's some things that I just have to keep for myself. So, yeah, I'll probably perform like 15 poems, but like I'm keeping like 100 to myself um, just to just to keep a little for me because I give so much out to the world that I had to learn how to keep some for me um, in order to keep my peace.
0: Do you think that's something that you would suggest to others that are do you, do you feel that that's a you would suggest that as something that other artists that are actively um, expressing their content and 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 having hopes of finding some sort of release through it to to mm-hmm. to hold some back because like you just said it starts to become this is my job you you have these these cues and these marks you need to make sure that you're you're working so you're not really participating with the emotional delivery Uh, to Mm -hmm. that extent where you feel like some sort of therapeutic release you want to you're suggesting i'm assuming to hey let's let's keep some for yourself because there's a lot of things that will never see the light of day i'm sure Avita cologne has a lot of those you said you may have hundreds and that Mm -hmm. would make sense so i'm assuming that's that's something that you would suggest to another spoken word
1: Absolutely. Any artist, um, I think that they should, you know, keep some to themselves, because I think as artists, we feel like we're obligated to share our lives with the people that are listening. And that can be a gift and it could be a curse. And I've, I've seen both sides of that. Um, and it becomes a place where we start to overshare and we think it's content. And it's like, no, you're really going through a traumatic experience over and over and over again because you're sharing it in your art and you think that that's building you up, but it's not because you're not releasing it in a way that um, could be conducive to your healing. Um, and you know there are ways to do it, but for me personally, um, I had to learn what I'm gonna share and what I'm gonna keep to myself because sometimes I overshared and th- that vulnerable space that I was sharing with other people became a target so I had to learn um, uh, to protect myself. Wow. I didn't
0: think about that. Do you, is that something that you, w- when you say you, you are, you're, you're preemptively preparing yourself, are, are you feeling like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I want to write something that's very deep. Okay. But then this is something that I'm not really going, I'm not preparing myself to put this out there. Is that how it goes? Or do you just decide at the end of it? Yeah.
1: I, um, I just make sure that I, I'm in a space to, to share it. So okay. I don't, share things that I'm currently going through. Like I'll share it when I feel like it's, I wouldn't say I'm completely healed from it, but um, unless I'm in a safe space to, to share it. So sometimes I'll write a poem of something I'm going through and I'll express it. With, like I'll share it with my sisters, my poetic sisters. Cause I know that, you know, we created that space of vulnerability, but maybe it's not something that I would do um, for a performance or an open mic. Um, So it's just picking and choosing where I feel safe enough to be vulnerable rather than feeling like I owe it to everyone that's listening to give them all parts of me.
0: Yeah. Word. I appreciate that. That's, and that's, that's, I would think that that's uh, something that everybody is on board and understanding. I don't think there should be any type of um, prerequisite for what a poet should be writing about. Um, And, and at the end of the day, you're just human. You're a Vita cologne. You're not, you know, you're not always the superstar. You're not always the one that's always in the front. You're not always the director. You're not always, you know, running concrete roads. You're just, sometimes, sometimes we get lost in that. And I, I tell my, um, I tell my children that I said you know I I know I'm your dad but keep in mind like I'm just me so I'm gonna fuck up sometimes I'm gonna you know don't hold my feet to the fire all the time like you know like I'm not perfect I, at the end of the day I'm just me um, and so I, I can appreciate that watching
1: watching 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 fighting because i got the eve gene pain busting through the seams my rage accepted only if music screams or oh, music screams the intensity but it's meant to be seen I feel a tech- one of the
0: things that i was looking forward to talking about and it was something that i i genuinely appreciate um based off the work that you've done because it's helped me look at things is the incorporation of um like i am puerto rican but the conversation of Black African roots never came up in my life growing up. It was it was something that I had to learn through education. And the reason why I bring that up is because you are full force putting it on Front Street. We are black. And regard you even mentioned that even Latinos, that's the conversation that we should be having. And I'm grateful for that because I don't know what your experience is and I'm and I and I would like you to answer this, but my experience Growing up, like I said, the older generations never really seemed to understand that concept in my experience. And it was something that I felt like nobody wanted to talk about. And then as we get older and I realize, yo, like we we our roots come from Africa. Why aren't we talking about that? Did you when you mentioned that your mom was a poet? um, And my condolences, I know your father passed away. um, Your your parents, your upbringing was there. Was that talk? um front street for you as a child or was that something you had to learn on the back end as well
1: um so i grew up i, I was raised by my mom um okay. and i grew i grew up in like you know immersed in black culture so that's what i always saw myself as is black but i also was um raised by my my father and his side of the family um so like I was immersed in both cultures, but I I felt like I had to choose. Nobody in my family was making me choose, but like I just it was just something that I just felt like I had to do. So I always identified as black. Um, I think a few not a few months ago, but maybe like a year ago, I had a uh, a conversation with my dad, and he said because um, I had went through something, it was like uh, I was dealing with racism and things like that, and I talked to him about it, and he said when you were a kid you came up to me, you asked me, am am I black or am I Puerto Rican? And he said that um, he wanted to tell me, like, you know, you Puerto Rico, like, that's it. But (laughs) but, uh, he said, if I told you that, then, um, you know, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. Like, you are, you are both things. You present as a black woman. And, um, you know, he never made me like forced culture on me, mm. um, even though I wasn't immersed in it as I, as I wanted to be. And like, I, it took for me to go to college and I met my friend, um, Karina Paulino. She actually wrote the Afro-Latina piece. Okay. And, so, and she started to teach me, she's um, Dominican. She started to teach me more about my roots. So I was able to take that back and have conversations with my dad, have conversations with my mom, Um, And I was just in a really weird space of of accepting it because I always looked Puerto Rican, like, you know, Mm -hmm. but I grew up with my black side of my family. So I didn't speak Spanish and I never wanted to learn Spanish and all that kind of stuff. But when I wanted to accept the culture, it was like, damn, I felt like so like disconnected from it that it was hard for me to accept. So I started to dig. Like, let me learn more about my history. When I started to dig into my history of my ancestors, like it all met up at the same place. So I um, as I learned on the journey, and things like that, like I'm not a, um, a master in this. I'm still learning and all that kind of stuff. But as I learn, I do try to teach other people like our cultures intersect because we all come from the motherland. So I try to teach that, teach that story. Um, I went to Colombia and learned like that was like one of the biggest slave ports um, and one of the first outside, like I think it's Colombia and um, Brazil as well. So just seeing black people in like, you know, Spanish countries, it was like really reaffirming for me. Um, So I just try to teach people as much as I know. And I'm still learning myself. I'm still trying to get connected with my culture. Um, And, you know, my dad passed away at a time where I was really starting to, like, really immerse myself. So it's for me to carry the legacy and do the work and, you know, keep trying to teach other people to find themselves and and be okay with, with where they're at.
0: When I look back at the the time you had uh, posted uh, in regards to the uh, concrete rose, your father's name up on up on the wall, um, mm-hmm. your your father gave you. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to just think on the fly here. Um, ingredients to some foods, or, or is there something in in regards to that? Are you, are you incorporating that with the food that you're serving there at Concrete Rose?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I, um, my dad was a chef. OK, so he was very uh, I would always hit him up about like when we started to work on the kitchen and the menu and all that. I was like, look, I need your help. Um, mm-hmm. So he gave us, you know, his professional advice. And obviously he's my dad, so he's going to give a lot more. So he was always sending me like recipes throughout the night, um, telling me to incorporate different things, how to to prep it, how to store it, how to save it. Um you know, what to look forward, um, look for when it comes to like health inspections and stuff. So some of his recipes, I, I definitely, um, incorporated in a concrete rose and we'll start to implement them, um, little by little, but at me being a perfectionist, I'm trying to get them right before I introduce <laughs> them to everyone. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing wrong yeah, with that, <laughs> yeah, but he's definitely all, he's all in the space. I, I can feel him there. And, um, I like even when I'm cooking the the food that I'm cooking now, um, a lot of those techniques and things like that he taught me. He taught me how to cook. I always watched him. Um, he used to always cook for us. So like, there's a lot of love in the food that I make. Um, he was the type of guy that would get pissed off if we went to, a, you know, a restaurant and they didn't make my salad right. So. Um, <laughs> very intentional about the energy that he put in food so that is what i'm doing in the kitchen because i am also cooking the food there
0: oh oh you're cooking the food yeah oh (laughs) so how many hats you trying to wear
1: (laughs) you got a lot going on (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we hired a chef and they never came so like oh man yeah i I just took that was like look i can do this so Um, I've been making all the food in there and I'm also working with um, another woman, Ellen. She's um, she has experience of fine dining and all that kind of stuff. So she's been consulting, you know, with the kitchen and stuff like that. So her and I in the kitchen, we're just, you know, it's a crazy team back there.
0: Hey, I think I think the best thing uh, anybody can do is if you can't get people to get the job done then do it yourself and roll the sleeves up so i commend you i think that's fantastic um, i'm looking forward to like i said my wife and i want to come visit one of the things i like to do to wrap up my interviews um and, and i'm thinking about everything that we discussed i i know the pictures that, and, and the posts that you share um you and your mm-hmm. wife are like this the power couple you guys are bossing up what's your wife's name again i'm sorry Police okay so as uh, so you Evita and solis what is what is the the game plan what's on your agenda for the next five to ten years what do you look forward to doing um with concrete rose and, and with the work and, and and the work that she does as well she's a choreographer correct or is, is that right
1: yeah yes so um the next five to ten years i mean obviously we want to um you know, establish a concrete rose. Uh, we want it to really feel like home. We want people to feel safe there. So we want to keep expanding on that, bringing events that uh, make people feel good, um, events that educate people. And um, also just, you know, kind of utilize the, the literature that we put in there as a tool for, um, you know, our conversations. Um, so that's that's some of the... the I wouldn't say that's small, but like that's some of the things that we're trying to implement at this moment. But we we do we definitely want to grow. We don't want this to be the only concrete rows. We want to see concrete rows in different places and things okay. like that. Um, so that's that's you know something that we're looking forward to. And we're always looking to expand. We want to partner with a lot of community organizations. Um, we want to partner with schools and trying to implement curriculums in schools that you know make sense for the students that are in there. Um, a lot of those banned books that you know they take out of schools are the ones that the kids really need to be reading. So, um, yeah, we we have a we actually have a lot planned, and we we talk about it often. But um, some of it, I know. Like, I don't know if she wants me to share it, so I'm not going to share it. But um. <laughs> of course, I <laughs> want to hear it, but I respect it. I respect yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I to her about that. But um, I know we want to expand the concrete rose and just um, put it in different places. We also, our our aim is that concrete rose grows in a way that brings resources to the southeast. So, I mean, I, I went to King, I went to, I think it's Hazel Jackson now hazel jackson i went to mccaskey um and i and i grew up in the southeast and the southeast isn't seen this thriving community is seen as like the part of town you don't go to and um i'm hoping that it brings like a concrete rose can bring a level of visibility to bring more um i would like other people in the city to to treat the southeast and the people that live there with more humanity um so I'm hoping it brings um, resources, love, humanity and things like that, um, where the community actually benefits and, you know, they don't feel like people are moving in to take things away. So um, that's just that's one of my one of my bigger goals is um, to bring some visibility to that to that area because I'm from there. So yeah. I know when they're talking bad about the sou- southeast and they're talking to me, it's like like they feel like I'm the exception or something. Okay. And, and that doesn't make me feel good. So I want to, you know, um, keep making the people on the, on on my side of the town feel seen, feel heard, and um, let them know that they deserve a place like a concrete rose and more, whatever comes to it.
0: Mm. Well, Evita, I feel that um, considering everything that you have on your resume and the the work that you're currently doing, I don't see why that can't be done. I think you're the perfect person to do it. Um, and I and I look forward to seeing your growth. Um, you and your wife both. I know in the uh, Black and Latino Excellence Awards, you won Poet of the Year. So yeah. obviously you're being recognized and seen uh, from a community that just eight to 10 years ago was, uh, closing its doors on you. So, um, I mm-hmm. applaud you. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I know it's getting late. Um, and like I said, I hopefully, uh, sooner than later, my wife and I can, can stop by and check out what you got going on at Concrete Rose.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I like, this was a very candid conversation. And I appreciate that. Um in any space that allows me to be seen and heard. I'm I'm all for that.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Go back, enjoy your evening with your family. I'm gonna let you go and I'll see you soon.
1: All right, see you soon. Peace.
0: Evita, thank you so much for joining me on the Journeyman Chronicles. This was uh, definitely a big moment for me. I'm a fan and just watching speak to my soul a montage of voices uh, in person with my wife and and saying, Hey, you know, I would love to get to know uh, Evita a little bit more. I finally got to do that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Good luck to you and your wife Solis on A Concrete Rose. I'm putting a link in this description of this episode for A Concrete Rose for Speak to My Soul, for um, Spotify. Check out the music from Evita Cologne, including the the, uh, Speak to My Soul montage of voices. You know, the fact that she's also taking the time you know, to also help creatives. There's a lot of other things that Avita's doing that um, that I know you weren't able to get into. Hopefully, one day in the near future, and Avita and I can can sit down and and have another interview. Um, but until then, hey, listen, episode 46 is a wrap. I am grateful, Avita. Thank you. Coming up next on the Journeyman Chronicles, I get to sit down and talk with Will Blaisdell, a.k.a. Willie Blaze. Will stop by the Journeyman Chronicles. This brother's got a lot of thought-provoking things to say. He's such a grounded and real cool cat. This journey is easily the longest interview I've done to date, so stay tuned. That's next week. Until then, remember, maintain focus and stay continuous through all four seasons. My name is Felix C. Royal, and these are the Journeyman Chronicles. Y'all be safe.